0: Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are joining with us. Those uh, here gathered in our sanctuary here as well as our campuses who watch via video and lots of people all over the world who watch us uh, via the internet. Glad that you joined us. Uh, On our Wednesday night Bible study we take uh, a book of the Bible, go through it verse by verse and explain it. Uh, Of course we're in the Old Testament and uh, we skip through a lot of verses because there's a lot we just don't want to read. But we're uh, kind of just giving a summary of the uh, prophets of the Old Testament. We've come all the way from Genesis through Kings, where finally uh, uh, the children of Israel had been so disobedient that God sent them off into captivity for 70 years as punishment. Uh, A long time coming. Uh, and, And now we're kind of going through... The prophets and putting them in order as to where they kind of fit. And there's some debate about which one comes before another, but we're, we're pretty close. Um, we just finished Isaiah, the major prophets uh, in the uh, Old Testament, because they're such big books and, and major voices. Isaiah is probably one of the biggest. And then Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and, and some of the smaller prophets as well. But uh, we're now uh, up to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah shows up about the time of King. Uh, Josiah, you remember this is toward the end of of the book of Kings and we're reading about all the kings, most of them were just horrid individuals, wicked men who continued to uh, uh, encourage wickedness and disobeying God in every conceivable way, every once in a while a good king would pop up Uh, Josiah was one of those, he was the last of the good guys who popped up and uh, was doing the right thing, this is when Jeremiah shows up about the time that we hit Josiah and then there's Jehoaz and Jehoiakim and uh, uh, Zedekiah which is the guy who is the king at the time that the Babylonians finally come and destroy everything take your body off into captivity and the last king that we see mentioned is a guy named Jehoiakim who uh, was uh, basically the figurehead king during the time of the captivity I'm not sure that there are any kings mentioned after that I could be wrong but uh, anyway um and uh, this, uh, Jeremiah is there through these last series of kings, and he's speaking and prophesying. Now, what's different about uh, Jeremiah? A couple of things. Uh, when we come to Jeremiah, <clears throat> Jeremiah and Ezekiel are two of the very dramatic prophets. These are the guys that, when you think of prophets in the Old Testament, going around and doing strange things and breaking things and say, Thus saith the Lord, you too will be broken. And speaking and doing all kinds of strange and odd, bizarre things. This is Jeremiah and Ezekiel right behind them. These are two of the really strange guys who were very dramatic in the way that they would prophesy. Now all of these other kings that we've, or prophets that we've been talking about, pretty much all of it has been about warning the children of Israel. Stop or I'm going to kick your butt. And message after message after message after message after message and warning after warning and warning. Finally, God can't take it anymore. But all these other guys prophesied it and never really necessarily lived around to see it. Jeremiah is the prophet who is there through it all. Okay, starting at Josiah, he sticks around, and uh, he is the prophet who was there when the Babylonians finally sweep in with their final sweep. uh, They actually had come in two waves. One was when Jehoiakim was uh, king, and uh, the Babylonians came in and uh, caused trouble, and and then went back and took some people into captivity. One of the people that they took in that first wave was Daniel. Daniel. And we'll read that when we get to Daniel. So some of this is, starts to overlapping now, you know. So it's not necessarily all totally one right after another. Because Daniel, of course, uh, is taken in this first wave of the uh, um, of, of the of the Babylonians coming through. And when we get there, we'll read about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of the incredible prophecies of the last times when we get to Daniel. Very fascinating stuff, this is when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and God miraculously saves them just amazing things that we'll get to so Daniel will be a lot of fun okay? Uh, but that was just the first wave everything was not totally given up until Zedekiah becomes the next king then he basically tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar to stick it and uh, Nebuchadnezzar really gets mad and comes down and wipes them all out which is what, God, what these guys have been prophesying all this time and Jeremiah is the guy who is there through that whole thing and he actually walks this through with the people. Alright, so let's take a look at this uh, very interesting uh, prophet, a major prophet uh, in the uh, Old Testament here. Now, um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah. So, so this is, here's the, uh, Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. This is where he pops up for the very first time. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, when the people went into exile. So he's basically saying, I went through all this. All this happened. I was there. So it starts out by God calling Jeremiah. Now, again, Jeremiah winds up being this very dramatic prophet. uh, at, At times seems very depressed. Uh, I'd be depressed <laughs> if I went through what this guy went through. And we'll read some of this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty pretty interesting. So the word, come, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I, w- I set you apart. I anointed you as a prophet to the nations. Anybody ever hear this verse, verse of Scripture? Before, this is the uh, very famous verse of Scripture That is quoted uh, during uh, any religious debate concerning abortion. Um, People saying that, well, you know, you're not really, they're not really alive until they're born. Um, uh, Interestingly enough, too, that uh, um, some Jewish scholars that I've heard speak on this have said they don't believe that a fetus actually comes alive until it takes its first breath, which is kind of odd being Jewish scholars because this is the scripture that, People will point to that says, obviously, life exists right from conception. Uh, I formed you in the, uh, before, I, before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were set born, I set you apart. I mean, life is already existing. He already had value. Uh, so, oftentimes, if you'll hear Christians debating the whole issue of abortion, and clearly we are anti-abortion. I am certainly anti-abortion. We should not be going around ripping out children from our wombs, uh, especially as some form of birth control or inconvenience, and I know they have these exceptions, but I promise you, the majority of this killing, and we're talking in the tens of millions, has been for no other reason than a form of birth control and inconvenience, and we have blood on our hands as a nation, God have mercy on our souls. <clears throat> There's going to be hell to pay uh, for this someday, uh, and you know, especially when you look at the demographics today where uh, we are not having enough children to replace the children that were here. I mean, even economically, I'm surprised I have not heard any president or any political leader or anybody point out the fact that one of the major, or e- economists, that one of the major problems that we have in our economy today is that we have failed to give birth to enough children. The reason why your house today is not nearly worth what you wish it was is because there's more houses gonna be ending up than there are people who want them are you listening to me if the generations coming would have followed in step with the uh... generations of world war II and continue to have greater greater children there'd be more demand for property all this, all the values would go up there it had right now everything's so upside down it was at one time social security had what uh... <clears throat> i'm just pulling from out of the air something like three workers for every one person on social security uh, no, 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 it was like 13 or 25. because a lot of workers for every one person on Social Security. Today, like, it's like, down to three for every one. And pretty soon it's going to be upside down. It's going to be unsustainable. The thing's going to collapse. Why? Just because we don't have enough children. We can't be bothered with children. Heaven forbid we have children, you know. I was raised in the generation that said, don't have any more than two because we're overpopulating the world. Only to find out later, they're full of baloney. The world is not overpopulated. Cities are overpopulated. The same you know, 3 million people, idiots, all want to live on the same block. That's a problem. <clears throat> but uh, the world is not overpopulated uh, in any way, shape, or form. If you doubt it, come fly my little airplane and I can go for hours and show you absolutely nothing. Miles and miles and miles from 28,000 feet as far as you can conceivably see. Most of it's just fields. Uh, so uh, so uh, we're, we're going to pay a price for that. Culturally, we're headed for trouble. You've heard me talk about this before. I don't want to get off on a rant on this, but culturally, we're headed for trouble. Our children are not marrying young enough. They're not having enough children. Uh, uh, Even in in Europe, it's really bad. They're so far down. Demographers say they can't even pull out at this point. Europe is basically, it's gone. It's just a matter of time. Uh, I, I mentioned this a couple of years ago in a sermon once, and uh, you know, and some people gave me, you know, I don't know if that's really true. That's really true. And I saw on, uh, read in the Wall Street Journal, I think a week ago, uh, that the number one name of young boys born in England today is guess what, Mohammed. <clears throat> it, it's it's because the that culture they have on average eight children per family. <clears throat> we have like 1.3. America's kind of keeping even only because of the influx of alien, uh, illegal aliens or, or even legal ones. So, you know, legally or illegally, at least we're maintaining some sense of stability. But this is unsustainable. It is sad that I can understand pagans, people who do not believe in God, who are by nature purely narcissistic and self-centered, not wanting to be bothered with children. I get that. I don't understand how people of faith think this way. Uh, we need to value children. We are the first generation of Christians in 2,000 years that's beginning to breed itself out of existence <clears throat> because we just can't be bothered. It's going to be interesting how we explain to God someday how the richest nation in the history of mankind could not afford to have children. Interesting how we explain this someday. Anyway, God, I'm sort of sound like Jeremiah, and I'll prophesy I'm doomed to everybody. But... Uh, you know, the value of, of, of children and, and, uh, and how we have taken millions and just sacrificed them on the altar of our own sexual greed and misbehavior because we don't want to be bothered with them. It's, uh, wow, what a mess. Anyway, this verse is the verse you'll hear. Before I formed you in the womb, I, before, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I anointed you as a prophet. To the nations. And then uh, going on. Jeremiah says. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord. Uh, I said. I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. He's basically saying. I'm a nobody. I don't know anything. I'm ignorant. Why do I know? I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. You ever feel like that? Yeah. God calls somebody else. God uses somebody else. God can use somebody else. Because I'm a nothing. I'm a nitwit. I'm a nothing. Okay. <clears throat> but the Lord said to me. Do not say. I am only a child. Really another way of saying that. Don't say I'm a nobody. Because you are a Somebody. You have value, intrinsic value. God can use anybody. And then he says, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid. Why would he have to say that? Because there is a certain fear factor, if you will, of talking about your faith to others. And it really is. It's just a reality of it. There's a, uh, it's uncomfortable to challenge someone else's thought. You know, and you know, the minute you stand for Christ and for righteousness in the world in which we live, you are going to be very much rejected or despised or bad things say, said about you. Uh, let me encourage you, as God said to Jeremiah, do not be afraid. Okay, uh, Paul said some interesting things about this in, in Romans the first chapter Romans where's Romans right after Acts Romans the first chapter verse 16 hello Somebody anybody wake back there hello not silent night I don't want a silent night there we go there we go I am not ashamed. I'm sorry, they didn't know this. I'm throwing this at them. I'm going to throw a few others out there at you, so be ready. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first of the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now, he boldly proclaims that he is not ashamed, but oftentimes we feel very badly because there is a sense of shame when. we start speaking of the cross of Christ. Look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 2. Say what? Thank you. You can hear me sound like a frog. I don't think this will help, actually. I, I was a little raspy. We did five radio shows yesterday. I talked for, nonstop for five hours. Because I have a big... I love the sound of my own voice. It's my problem. Talk about narcissism. So sorry. It's just um, I'm recovering from that still. Um, Hebrews 12, two, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its what? Shame. There is a shame part of it. If, if you ever feel a little embarrassed um, uh, as a Christian to share your faith, two things, don't let that condemn you and make you feel bad. And number two, don't let it stop you or vice versa. Don't let it stop you. And then don't let it make you feel bad. Okay. There is a certain natural, and even the Bible said there is, there's this sense of shame, uh, identified with the cross. Now Paul bullied because I am not a I mean he's intentional about it. That's the way we should be about it. But there is this natural thing, particularly when you start dealing with spiritual things. Um, one more. I'll throw it to you real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians, first chapter. i got to find it myself. I'll right, just look at the one on the screen. How about that? 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 18. Can you find it faster than I can? There you go Pop it up there. for the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing, uh, but to those of us who are being next verse, saved it is the power of God. So to us who are being saved, the cross is a glorious, wonderful thing. To those who are perishing, words, who don't, those, those who don't know God, it's foolishness. At some level there's a, there's a, a, a degree of shame, uh, there's a degree of embarrassment, uh, there's a degree of discomfort. Um, because it will be rejected as foolishness and and knocked down. Um, uh, But, again, number one, there's a normal thing to that. As soon as you feel uncomfortable, say, Oh, gee, I I guess I'm ashamed of Jesus and I feel bad and God hates me because I'm ashamed. Paul said he wasn't ashamed. You know what? Paul knew what it was. He embraced the shame. There is a shame to it, and he just embraced it. I love it! I'm not going to like it. Keep me from doing what God's called me to do. So that should be the same with us. So when you feel uncomfortable or a little weirded out, don't feel bad about it. But number two, don't let it stop you. Okay? Um, <clears throat> be bold, even in the face of fear. Um, be courageous. Now, courageousness is not the absence of fear. And I think that's what people don't understand. Uh, oftentimes, you'll talk to people who uh, have been in uh, in battle or... Uh, particularly someone who's, you know, been awarded a medal or something for valor or something. I I have friends like that. You guys remember the guy we had come up from the Special Forces who was here uh, for our second Manly Man thing, you know. And and talking to these guys, you know, who'd, who'd been in battle and shot and everything else like that and say, you know, it's, it's, you're so brave. It's amazing that you weren't afraid. And they all say, no, of course we were afraid. We're scared to death. People are shooting at us, for heaven's sakes. How do you not be afraid? You see what I'm saying? So just because you feel fear... Don't let that stop you or don't let it define you. Don't feel bad. Oh, I, I feel fear. And I'm ashamed of it. No, no, no. The fact that you feel fear doing something that's out of your box or identifying with the shame of the cross or whatever else that other people consider as foolishness. That's normal. Just don't let it stop you. It's okay to, to do it. And, and one of the things that you want to do is don't let fear keep you from being bold. You can be bold even though you're scared to be bold. Right? I know it seems weird to people, but it's, it's really, really true. Um, there's things in my life, oftentimes that I was faced to do that brought great fear uh, to me. But I, and I don't know where I got this from, but uh, you know maybe from my mama or something. She was always a real big encourager. But uh, oftentimes things that I would run into my life that I was afraid to do, I would intensify all the more and do it nonetheless. Because I just hated the idea that some, that fear was going to keep me from doing something. Uh, as many as you know, I'm, I'm a pilot. When I was first learning to fly airplanes, I was, in point of fact, scared to death. Especially when I started soloing. And I'm all by myself. And I'm going to go up there. And some idiot actually trusts me with an airplane. You know, like, Good heavens, what are they thinking? You know, I'm going to kill myself and whoever I land on, you know. And and I remember at times going out to fly and and practice my cross countries and get in the middle of some, I don't even know where I am. And, you know, uh, there were days where I would pull up and I, I could feel terror in me of getting out of that car and going checking out the plane and firing that thing and taking off into the wild blue yonder all by myself say why would you do that because there's always been something in me that I refuse to not do something because I'm afraid and so courage is in fact doing something that you're afraid to do if you do something you're not afraid to that shoot you should be that's not courage you're just dumb people jumping on airplanes doesn't bother me I'm brave no you're not you're an idiot and you forgot your shoot! Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, those things people do that, they seem to be more brave than others, but they don't really have fear for some whatever reason. It doesn't bother them to fly airplanes or jump out of airplanes or do all kinds of, you know, wild, crazy, you know, ex-sports and stuff like that. I'd, to me, that's not bravery. That's just there's something wrong with them. <laughs> or, you know, or they have enough confidence in their own skills. I don't know, whatever it is. But... Uh, um when you're afraid and you still do it, see that's courage. That's courage. So my my word to you tonight, as as God said to uh, to Jeremiah, don't don't be afraid. That doesn't mean you won't fear. You will be free. You will feel horrible fear. You know, it's amazing how many times in the Bible, angel would appear to someone and just scare the willies out of them. And uh, the first thing the angel would say is, don't be afraid. Well, that's easy for you to say. You know, I didn't come up behind you and go boo. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're all by yourself and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you turn around and there's an angel. <coughs> Dude, you just scared me to death. You know what I'm saying? we talk talking about this, you know, with the Christmas story coming out, you know. because it's so romantic. You know, the little children come out dressed like shepherds and stuff like that. And the angels sing. And we all think, this was nothing romantic. The Bible says these angels showed up. The shepherds were terrified. Can you imagine? This freaked a freak the willies out of you. It wasn't like today where we had light bulbs and stuff. This is 2,000 years ago. When it got dark, it was dark. It was totally dark. Have you ever been someplace where it's totally, totally dark? You ever really get away from, from all of uh, the cities? And stuff? It's amazing how much the sky lights up. I remember I was uh, in South America, you know, up in the Andes Mountains, and the only thing up there were, were me and fish. <laughs> and then the pilots who flew us in, I, mean, I, was, I was doing a documentary for some fishing many years ago, but I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's amazing how dark stuff gets when there's no lights anywhere, and the sky just sparkles, I'm telling you. If I'm in the Andes Mountains by myself in the dark of darts and a bunch of angels jumping going, oh, I am freaking out. <laughs> so courageousness is doing the right thing even when you're scared. Don't let fear convince you that you're a coward. Did you catch that? Do not let fear convince you you're a coward. But I'm afraid. It has nothing to do with it. The coward is the one who lets the fear keep them quiet. lets the fear keep them from doing what they're doing. I would argue you can't possibly be courageous if you don't feel fear. Because then you're just nuts. Because you don't realize the trouble that you're possibly in. Brilliant! Simply brilliant! I say amen in my own sermon. I don't know why you people come. Anyway, okay. <laughs> then the Lord reached out uh, his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? And this is where we start seeing these analogies, things that God uses to speak to Jeremiah. And then as we go into it, tells him to go speak to others, hence the strange prophet guy, you know, the end is near, and all that kind of stuff, so he says to him, what do you see Jeremiah, and he says well I see the branch of an almond tree, and the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled, now in English, this makes no sense let me explain to you the analogy here, Uh, the word uh, for watching in Hebrew sounds like the word almond. Okay? Analogy would be like is if he saw, he looked out at the ocean and said, what do you see? He says, I see a wave. And God says, yes, that means I am waving at you my blessings. That, that kind of analogy uh, is what's happening here. So that's why it doesn't make any sense. Because what he's saying, what do you see? An almond branch. He says, see, you see correctly, for I am Amending, watching, to see that my word is fulfilled. The next one, not quite as strange, but the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see now? He says, "I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north." And then the Lord says to me, "Well, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms," declares the Lord. And uh, and then he basically just starts prophesying. prophesying I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill all of you, I'm going to kill most of you, not all of you. Some of you will get away, but I'm going to kill, 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 because I've had it with you people. And uh, constantly using different, I mean, it's like almost all the other prophets. You you can certainly read it on your own time. I don't want to read all this. It'll take forever to read all this stuff. But it's basically the same thing over and over again. And God, what, what it is, it's amazing how patient God is. Because he, we've already read a gazillion of these. And here again, he's reasoning with them. If you would just stop, this won't happen to you. But because you're doing this, this is what's going to happen. Because you're doing this, he keeps warning them over and over and over and over again. Uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 32. You really ought to bring your Bibles, people. This is a Bible study. Seriously, I mean, the, the reason I say that, I know most of you don't bring Bibles because we have the big Bible on the screen here. But because just to bring, just kind of get used to it and see where things are and learn how to find things. And you can make little notes and say, ooh, cool. And, and stuff like that, all right? So, for what it's worth. Not to make you feel bad for not having it, but just encourage you, bring your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, go buy one. <clears throat> In the bookstore over there. Does a maiden forget her jewelry? Inconceivable. Does a bride her wedding garments, of co- wedding ornaments? Of course not. Yet my people have forgotten me, days without numbered. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. How skilled you are at pursuing love! Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. On your clothes, men find the lifeblood of the innocent poor. Though you did not catch them bringing them in. Yet in spite of all this, you say, "I'm innocent." I. He's not angry with me. I didn't do anything. And so he goes on and on. Chapter three, verse one. Kind of an interesting analogy here. It says, if a, if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, well, should she return back to her original husband again? Would not the land be completely uh, defiled? Um, now, this is based on the uh, uh, law of Moses, which you weren't supposed to do that. Every once in a while, I'll have people ask me about that who become Christians and their previous spouse becomes Christians and they're not married anymore and uh, they want to get together with their first husband as a a sign of restitution and God making things right in their lives and then they'll read one of these Old Testament things like this and people say no you can't do that because the Bible says you can't do that Uh, the Old Testament said you couldn't do that to the Jews Uh, we don't live by the law of Moses we live by uh, the law of grace today which is a little bit, well considerably different Uh, there's a few things from the Old Testament we're supposed to carry over but this is not one of them the Old Testament also says you can't eat a bacon sandwich Okay. the Old Testament also says you can't cook a goat in its mother's milk. I don't know why, but, uh, you know, there's all kinds of rules. They had rules about everything. It had rules when you could work, when you couldn't work, when you could make love, when you couldn't make love, what to do if this happened, what happened, happened, you know, just bizarre rules, strange, strange. We've talked about them. Some of them are hilarious. They had rules on, you know, if your husband's in a fight and, and the late one of the wives jumps in and grabs the gonads of the other guy, you know, you had to cut her hand off. there's that many people grabbing gonads you gotta cut hands you gotta have rules about it in the bible there's there's that much gonad grabbing going on that we need a rule in the bible but I don't know they had rules about everything so from a Christian worldview, I would say that would be perfectly appropriate were that to happen but according to them uh, certainly not because it was against the law of Moses and that's why I even read it to you because some people pull that out um so anyway, uh, goes on and on and on. Um, analogies, uh, chapter three, verse six. During the reign of King Josiah, the good king, the Lord said to me, "Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there." And on and on, and talking about just what, what a horrible, horrible situation uh, they're in. Verse fourteen. Uh, The Lord declares, return, faithless people, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan. I'll bring you to Zion. I'll give you a shepherd. Again, even still, God is warning. It's about to happen. This is the prophet who's going to go through this and still warning. Stop, 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 stop. Uh, Verse 19. uh, I said to myself, how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me but like a woman unfaithful to her husband so you have been unfaithful to me O house of Israel a cry is heard on the barren heights the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel because they have perverted their ways they have forgotten the Lord their God return faithless people I will cure you of your backsliding and, uh, and on and on it uh, goes the Lord uh Willing to reason with them. Um, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. If has changed, I won't kill you. I'm going to kill you again. <laughs> More, I'm going to kill you. Kill you, kill you, kill you, kill you. Kill you. Uh, your religions are worthless. Chapter 8, 7, all your religions, all your stupid... Idols and stuff, and all the dumb things in the world. Um, coming to chapter eight, verse eight, the valley of slaughter, more killing, kill, 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 kill. And by the way, this this was this was a brutal, brutal destruction of the city, and the number of people that were killed was stunning. It was it was quite horrible. They never forgot it. It's interesting. After this, they straightened up. From here on, after this, we don't see them struggling with idols and all this stuff anymore. And they rebuild the city after the uh, uh, captivity. And 400 years later, whatever, Jesus comes and da 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 da. Um, just warning them. I'm going to kill you. Going to kill. Chapter nine, verse 22. Say this is what the Lord declares: the dead bodies of men will lie like refuse on the open hill like cut grain behind the reaper with no one to gather them. That's how many bodies are going to be all over the place. It was quite, quite hard. Keeps warning them about the destruction that's coming, the covenant that's been broken, Jeremiah praying for them, God telling Jeremiah, don't pray for them. Which is kind of interesting. Don't pray for these people. He says it over and over again. Where's the first time that he says it? Uh, I don't know where it is. We'll find it again. Because he said several times, tells him not to to pray for them. All right, so let's get to chapter 13. And we get a little bit of picture of of Jeremiah's life. God would tell him to do strange kind of things and then do it in front of all the people and then give them the point of why he was doing it. So, chapter 13, verse 1. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist but do not let it touch water so I bought the belt as the Lord directed and I put it around my waist then the word of the Lord came to me a second time take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go to Pereth and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks so I went and hid it at Pereth as the Lord told me many days later the Lord said now go back to Pereth and get the belt (laughs) I told you to hide there so I went to Pereth and dug up the belt And took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Which was the point. And the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way I will ruin the pride of Judah. And the great pride of Jerusalem. Those wicked people who refuse to listen to my words. So now these are things he's writing about. It, but basically he's acting this out in front of the people. And people would watch him do these strange things. And then he takes this fancy linen. Ooh, nice linen belt. And he takes it and he squashes it up. And he sticks it in the dirt. And puts it. And I was like, what? This guy's a little nuts. And uh, they thought he was nuts. And then he comes back a few days later. And it's ruined the whole thing. Look, your belt is ruined. Yes, my belt is ruined. And the Lord says that... You're going to be ruined. So it was an analogy that he keep playing out these kind of ways. Again, a very dramatic prophet. Verse 12, another time. Uh, say this to them. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every wine skin should be filled with wine. So he goes running around and he tells everybody, every wine skin should be filled with wine. Every wine skin should be filled with wine. You can imagine everyone thought, dee 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 dee. This guy's nuts. So he's going around, he's telling everybody, every wine should, skin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, uh, uh, don't we know <laughs> that every woman's skin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to fill with drunkenness. All who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem, I will smash them one against the other. Fathers like sons, declares the Lord. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's basically insulting everybody all the time. He's going around and he's prophesying one thing or the other, and now he talks more about "I'm going to kill you, I'm going to, get to kill you." Uh, <clears throat> what else have we got? Um, then, chapter 16. Then the word of the Lord comes to me: You must not get married and have sons or daughters in this place. Well, so now he looks a little weird because he never gets married. What's wrong with this guy? He's got—he's a little strange. Why doesn't he get married and have children? And and then basically what he would say is that this is what the Lord says about the sons and daughters born in this land, about the women who are their mothers and the men who are their fathers. They will die of deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried but will be like refuse lying on the ground. They will perish by sword and famine. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and beasts of the earth. Again, not the most popular thing when you're telling people that their kids are going to become bird food. And that's essentially what he's doing. Jeremiah, how come you never got married? Because the Lord said, anyone who has children, their children are going to be destroyed. You know, I mean, this guy is intense. Um, Then the Lord says this to him. Do not enter a house where there is a funeral meal. Do not go to mourn or show sympathy. So people would say, dude, Bob here died. You should come to the funeral. You should come. So some sympathy is a proper, proper thing to do. Why won't you do it? And he says, because the Lord has said, I have withdrawn my blessing, my love and pity from this people. So he won't show pity to anyone else. And it's a sign of how God says, I'm not going to show pity to you when all this destruction comes. Verse eight, another thing. Do not enter a house where there is feasting to sit down and eat and drink Dude, why don't you come over? Sit down. You're a little strange. Have something. No, no. Before your eyes and your days, I'll bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of the bride and the bridegroom in this place. And, uh, uh, and when you tell these people all this and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such great disaster on us? Why, what are you so mad about? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord? And then say to them, it's because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord. And you worship other gods. And he goes through the list and on and on and on. And I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. Uh, How are we doing for time? I'll keep going here. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 19. Then the Lord tells me this. Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out. And stand also at the other gates of Jerusalem. So he's supposed to go to all these different gates and yell at people saying, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, kings of Judah and all the people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to... So he starts prophesying to them again. So he shows up at the gates and he's yelling at people, you know, you need to do this and you shouldn't do that. And the people are going to come and I'm going to destroy the city and la, 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 la. Chapter 18, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house. I saw him working the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from clay was marred with his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping as it seemed best to him. And of course, he goes around and says, You see this pot, you guys, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And again, he starts prophesying to them. That they're going to get their butts kicked, and this goes on and on and on. And uh, at some point, they get really mad at him, and they arrest him. We'll save that for next week. We'll come and we'll talk. We'll take a look at this when they start arresting him, and uh, the misery that happens. But he's basically. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I'll do it real quick here. It's in chapter 20. When the priest, Pasher, son of Immer, the chief officer of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks in the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Well, why? Because he's obnoxious to them. Everywhere he goes... If a guy's making a pot, he's yelling how God's going to make them into something else. If, if uh, another place, he has a jar and he's supposed to break it. I skipped over that one. And God's going to break, you know, this city because of his horrible sins. And, you know, no matter what, I, you know, I won't go into your house because there's not going to be any joy coming. I mean, he's very dramatic and he's doing all these things. And he's standing at the gates yelling at the people that, you know, judgment is coming. Like I said, very classic vision of what we think of these Old Testament prophets. This was Jeremiah. So they take him, they resonate, gets him all beaten up, he's, he's in stocks. Well, the next day, he released him from the stocks. Jeremiah said, The Lord's name for you is not Pasher, but Magor Mesibib, which means terror on every side in, in Hebrew. For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself. So I mean, he wouldn't stop. <laughs> he just kept going. The guy just got in trouble for insulting them with the prophecies, and as soon as he lets him go, God just thinks this about you, and you're going to have terror and everything else. So then, By this point, and we'll stop here, Jeremiah complains. And he says, oh Lord, verse 7. Oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me, do you think? Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence. And destruction. He did. Read it. We stiff good You're gonna die, you're gonna die, you're all gonna die, you're gonna die miserably, not even in a nice way, it's gonna be a slow, miserable, horrible, terrible death. You're gonna die, you're gonna So every time I talk, you said you're gonna use me, but every time I prophesy, I'm speaking death and destruction. And everybody makes fun of me, and things are miserable. So the world of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But then the very next verse has a very fascinating insights uh, that we will talk about next week as to why he still spoke the words even though it put him in very bad light when he was speaking horrible things the good thing for us today while we should be bold and not fearful and stuff and and speak God's word into people's lives is we are not prophets of doom you know (laughs) Jeremiah was a prophet of doom I mean that was his gig I mean that's that the very reason God used him was for that Uh, ours is called the gospel which means what Good news. So, you know, if Jeremiah could do a prophet of death and doom gig, surely we can at least feel confident because at least what we're speaking into people's lives is not death and doom. And we're not supposed to be going around speaking condemnation and destruction into people's lives. I've, I've never understood, you know, you know, these Christians who hold signs protesting and saying horrible things. You know, God hates homosexuals. And, you know, and all that. I think, dude, relax. That's not our call. Our call is going to go around and condemn people you know our calling I know we have to stand for what's right and right I know but going around and just yelling and screaming at people isn't the point our point is we're supposed to be speaking life into people's life you know you have to speak the truth and sometimes they'll hate us because of the truth but not done in a spirit of, of of ickiness and meanness or those kinds of things and then we will pick up and look at why Jeremiah despite the misery that he kept getting himself into doing all these strange things God told him to do and keep speaking death and destruction but yet he couldn't stop speaking because, and we'll look at why next week. I'm done.